It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Wednesday episode of Locked On Raptors, it's a mailbag show. We have tons of great questions from you, the listeners, digging into questions around the Toronto Raptors bench, the future of Gary Trent Jr., and retired numbers. Is there anyone currently on the Raptors who we expect to see that number raised and retired one day? We'll get into that and so much more on today's mailbag edition of Locked On Raptors. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot trying to miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode Something of Locked On Raptors on your host, Sean Woodley, or RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at Woodley Sean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. You can also follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast apps in audio form for the low, low price of On The House. And we're on YouTube. You can go and subscribe over there for free as well to get my mug on your screen each and every day. You can watch on your smart TV. You can watch on your phone. You can watch on your laptop. Why not all three? Help juice the stats, baby. Thank you for doing that and uh, for supporting the show and, of course, for making us your first listen each and every day. All right. On today's show, we have a mailbag show lined up. Lots of great questions came in, a mix of Twitter questions and questions from YouTube as well. Thanks to those who sent them in. And we're going to go all sorts of different directions today. We have stuff related to guys in the starting five. We have stuff related to sort of big picture questions about what is a number one player in the NBA and how do you know when you see it. And, you know, we got lots of other stuff to get to related to the bench and some small related items as well. So let's dive on in, shall we? And uh, let's first pick up a bit on a thread that we talked about on yesterday's show, which is the state of Gary Trent Jr. with the Raptors. On yesterday's show with Vivek Jacob, I sort of posed the question, will Gary Trent Jr. be on the starting roster for the Raptors to begin the 2023-24 season, which is, of course, the season after the one that is about to start in about a month's time? Uh, And, you know, I think there's a lot to that question. The Raptors obviously are a team that's always looking to make moves. If a trade comes around, any one of their guys could potentially be on the table, especially because they have very movable contracts, and that's kind of the spot Gary Trent Jr. finds himself in right now. It's the reason he's come up whenever Donovan Mitchell or Kevin Durant or any other big names have come up over the course of the offseason. He's that kind of contract that you typically see involved in these sort of big moves. And he's also going to be a free agent, and complicating all of that is that, you know, where does he slot into this team? Is he a bona fide starter on this team? Does Precious Achua supplant him at at some point this year? And does he settle more into the gunner six-man role that I am dreaming to see him in? All of these different things could play out in a way that makes it so him returning after this this coming season is a little bit difficult for financial reasons, for, you know, politics reasons. If Gary Trent Jr. views himself as being capable of more, maybe he wants to go and do the Jeremy Grant 
thing somewhere else and be a higher leverage player for some other team that'll probably not win a whole lot of games, but maybe that's how he envisions himself. And if that's the case, like go nuts. You don't become an NBA player without having a high opinion of yourself. So there's lots to go into this Gary Trent Jr. thing. The question here comes from Raptor fan T.O. And it is, you don't see Gary Trent Jr. on the roster for 23-24. What would keep him on it for the long term? Why is he so dispensable to so many? First of all, I should say, I don't think Gary Trent Jr. is dispensable necessarily. I think it's the kind of situation that if you're trading him, it's for an improvement or for someone you have a little bit more team control on beyond this year. You know, I've thrown out the Norman Powell trade as a bit of a comparison a couple of years ago where they realized, all right, Norm's a free agent. We're going to have to pay this guy. Are we sure we want to pay this guy? Or do you want to kick the can down the road a little bit and get a guy like Gary Trent Jr., who, yes, was a restricted free agent, but that's a little easier to work around. You have more team control that way. And so they did that. And it was kind of a like-for-like -like replacement. You can argue whether Trent or Powell's the better player now. I'd probably lean a little bit Trent because I think Norm Powell is not a very good defensive player, as I think most teams kind of learn when he arrives on their roster. Interested to see how he fits into the Clippers this year and all that, but... You know, when it comes to Gary Trent Jr., what would keep him on the Raptors? I, I think, you know, the Raptors, you know, see him take a leap this season when it comes to his playmaking, when it comes to his defense and his sort of, you know, obviously he does a good job jumping passing lanes and creating events defensively, but he's not incredibly stout when it comes to on-ball defense. If there's some growth there, that kind of changes the game a little bit, especially for a team that prioritizes defense as much as it does. And, you know, he could play himself with a little bit more playmaking, with some, you know, surefire, off-the-bounce, three-point shooting, whatever it might be. Some little level up of one of his skills or a couple of his skills could make it so that they are totally happy just being like, all right, four years, 100 mil for Gary Trent Jr., let's do it. That's totally fine for us. In which case, I think, you know, it becomes kind of a no-brainer for the Raptors. But if he's kind of the same player that we saw last year, where there's streaks, there are hot moments where he'll score over 30 a game five times in a row and not miss anything and shoot like 17 of 19 on random nights, you know, if that is, you know, kind of counteracted by the, the down spells we see from him as well, if it's a very similar type of trajectory and sort of over-the-season arc for Trent, I do think the Raptors will have a pretty difficult decision on their hands as to whether or not he's worth paying and investing in on a team that is going to eventually have to pay Precious Achua. You know, if he continues his upward trajectory, he'll be up for an extension after next season. Uh, you know, Scotty Barnes is only in his second season, but big extensions for rookies come quick, and you have to kind of have your books cleared and ready for that. And I wonder if Trent might just be a casualty of timing because of the time that his contract is coming up, in addition to maybe just not being quite good enough for the Raptors to say, obviously, we're going to throw all our money at this guy. That said... I still think there's a very good chance he is back. Like, you know, uh, part of my sort of thinking yesterday was a bit of devil's advocate side of things. I think it's probably like a 55-45 type situation in favor of him probably coming back in all likelihood. And that's because the Raptors, over the course of their history, have shown a propensity for paying their guys and figuring it out later, which I kind of think is probably the best way to go about it. Uh, I just do think there are some complicating factors here with just sort of the way the team is trending, the type of player Gary Trent Jr. is or maybe cannot be one day. Um, you know, all of that kind of comes into making it a pretty interesting conversation. And I do think if things go poorly this season for the Raptors, which I don't expect to happen, I think they're going to be quite good. But if they are kind of floating around in that play-in range and not a surefire top six team in the east and you know they're not looking like they're going to make any noise 
then I think trading Trent at the ted at the deadline kind of becomes more of a conversation. I don't think that's going to happen, but there are lots of different things that could lead the Raptors down the road of moving on from Gary Trent Jr. So I just kind of have my eyebrows raised a little bit. I'll be watching that as the season goes along for sure. But a good question and uh, a nice, hopeful, hopefully a clarification of what we were talking about yesterday. Um, we're going to get some more questions coming up in just a second here. We've got great questions about weddings and what is a number one in the NBA and how do you know when you see it? Stats, eye test, whatever. We're going to talk about the bench as well. A whole bunch of bench-related questions. Will the Raptors be a top three seed or a play-in? What's more likely? All that's coming up in just a sec here. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at betonline.net, your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week games. BetOnline is also your continued source for all other sporting information. You got live betting, you got esports, you got baseball's going on right now. The NHL season's coming up soon. The NBA as well. You can do futures bets there. It's all there at your fingertips, and you can become the informed wager who's not just indiscriminately throwing money away because you feel like gambling. BetOnline's going to help you make the right bets so you can actually win some scratch. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. BetOnline is where the game starts. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day, a mailbag show, which we've just loaded with questions in this one. Uh, lots of bench stuff. We'll get to the bench-related questions in the final segment, kind of do a bit of a rapid fire there. But let's get to this next question here coming from Jay Rich asking... What determines when a player has reached number one status? Is it stats or eye test? This is a fascinating question, kind of one of the bigger questions that I'm sure front offices kind of grapple with. And, you know, I think there's lots of different layers to this. Are you asking, are they a number one on a specific team? Because if that's the case, then there are 30 number ones who are perhaps miscast in their roles. But there are, yeah, there's 30 teams in the NBA, right? Not 32? Yeah, that's hockey in football. Uh, so there are 30 different number ones and all these different teams. So maybe that's just sort of like you look at the usage and say, ah, that's a number one. I think probably the question here is more who can be a number one on like a championship contender. And that's a bit more of a difficult thing to parse. You know, surely there are some stats involved, like your efficiency has to be 
at a certain level with a certain amount of usage. I think if you are have a you know an efficiency that's kind of north of 57, 58, 59%, and you are also are on a usage of 26, 27, 28 or higher, like that to me is the combination of usage and efficiency that tends to suggest that you're probably at number one. That's kind of the range that Jason Tatum found himself in last year as he upticked his efficiency over the course of the season and became the player that he was by season's end. Like that to me, was him making that leap into being a number one and so that's probably the biggest thing is like how do you handle the volume and I think we've seen with the Raptors in particular and Pascal Siakam in particular you know it's he's certainly ascended to being the number one on the Raptors without a doubt and there's no questioning like who should be the guy who leads the team in usage but does he quite have that efficiency to be declared a number one on a team that can go win a championship? I, I don't think he's there just yet. He might not ever get there because it's a really, really hard thing to do. And the better bet might be Scotty Barnes reaching those heights one day. That said, Pascal Siakam is not all that far away from those heights. He was an All-NBA player this season. I think, you know, with everyone healthy, he's no worse than the 20th best player in the NBA. And if you can get yourself into the top 10 range, then you're kind of in that range of guys who can be the best player on at least a contender, which, you know, I, I kind of think it's a little unfair to just sort of parse it off as to who could be the number one on a team that can win a championship, because that's a very, very small number. And you kind of have to be like a generational talent to really be in that conversation. You know, I think if you can get into the range of being like a surefire all NBA guy, a guy who is in the, you know, the top 10 conversation, a guy who's getting back end of the MVP votes, you know, it's certainly, you know, you're probably in that number one status tier. You know, it, it is a tricky one, though, because... You know, this does feel like one that's a little bit less about the numbers, and it is sort of more like you know it when you see it. <laughs> like it's like a, you know, it's like that Supreme Court thing about pornography. I, I can't just define pornography, but I can tell you when I see it. It's kind of like that with a number one, right? It's like, oh yeah, you know, I can't really say for sure why that guy is a number one, but he's a number one. You know, I think of like Jimmy Butler, for example, with this, where like the stats maybe don't suggest that Jimmy Butler can be the best player on a contending team. But without fail, every time the playoffs come around, he goes into some sort of crazy Super Saiyan mode, and he's incredible, and he's obviously number one on a contender. So it does kind of depend uh, a little bit on sort of, you know, success in the playoffs, frankly. Like, if you're a team, if you're a guy who can lead your team into the third round and beyond, like, that probably suggests that you are a number one of some kind. Obviously, team context comes into play there, too, who your teammates are, how you're playing, what your, your, your court geometry looks like and all that, but... I do think a little bit of it is sort of like you don't know it until you see a guy do it. And then once they do it, they're kind of in that tier. So, um, you know, Tatum, I think, is there. Butler's there. If the Raptors can go and make a run to the third round on the back of Pascal Siakam, then guess what? He's probably sort of arrived on the scene as a true number one as well. But it's a really fascinating question and one that I'm sure keeps front offices up at night all the time. Thanks for the great question, Jay Rich. This next question comes here from Jake Talk Sports 3 on Twitter. Are the Raptors more likely to be in the play-in or a top three seed next year? Interesting question because I kind of think they will be neither. Uh, I would I would guess the four, five, six range is probably where those well those where they will slot in. We talked yesterday about how the Nets kind of complicate things. If they're going to be a real ass team this year, that's another real contender in the Eastern Conference. That's probably going to bump the Raptors down a spot. But the Heater out there is a team that I kind of look at as pretty vulnerable. Um, you know, maybe a team like the Bucks continues to just kind of do what it's done the last couple years, and instead of pushing for sixty five wins in the regular season, they kind of take it easy, and you know they are a little bit more 
prone to injuries befalling them because they are kind of a three-guy team at this point. Uh, and, and, you know, they're so dependent on Middleton, Holiday, and Giannis to drive the bus for them. So, you know, th- there's certainly ways in which the Raptors find themselves in the top three. If multiple teams in that sort of upper tier, upper crust of the East have trouble, I have a hard time thinking that like three of those teams are really going to struggle. So I would probably say, you know, five is sort of like the 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 highest I would expect the Raptors to finish at this point, maybe four if they can get some luck, but four, five, six, I think is probably the safe range. So to answer the question from Jake, I would say probably the play-in is more likely just because I think there are more teams with the potential to surprise and sort of emerge onto the scene. Of course, the Raptors are a team that have had a lot of injuries in the past. There's no guarantee that's going to just go away this season because they're coming into the year healthy, although it'll probably help them out in terms of like balancing things in a way they couldn't at the start of last year where Fred was asked to do so much with Pascal making his way back, yada, yada, yada. But I I do think just because the sheer number of teams that, you know, if the Knicks go get Donovan Mitchell, maybe they have a good season. I don't necessarily think they'll be that good, but maybe. Uh, The Hawks, you know, everyone seems to like the Hawks and what they did in the offseason. It was fine. I will believe uh, believe the Hawks thing when I see it. And we're going to talk about the sort of lesser teams in the Eastern Conference, the sort of playing and below next week with Vivek to sort of do a, an addendum to yesterday's podcast where we talked about the top teams in the East. But, you know, I think the Hawks are kind of in that conversation. The Cavs obviously are quite good. The Bulls were the number one seed for a very long time last year. So I just think the the sheer volume and the sort of margin for error for the Raptors is going to mean that the plane is more likely than a top three seed. But I think in terms of like, from ranking the likelihood that they're going to finish in each sort of sphere, top three seed, I'd say like, I don't know, 10, 15%. The four, five, six range, I would say probably like 55, 60%. And then the rest left over for the plans, whatever that math leaves you behind. So uh, again, I don't think either is terribly likely, but certainly I think falling down a couple spots into that play-in range is more likely than the uh, than the alternative. So great question from Jake. Let's get to this next question here. This one comes from uh, Spidey Rocks. It's a fun one asking, if the number was set at 2.5, you take the over or the under on how many players on the current Raptors roster will have their number retired by the team at some point. Let me start by saying my sort of opinion on how it all works with retirements. I I think I'm pretty like hesitant to like retire numbers willy nilly. I think it should be a pretty rare thing. And honestly, I I think there's a difference between retiring a number and raising up a number banner, you know, situation. Like I would much prefer uh, teams leave their retirements for like very specific special cases. Um, you know, I just, you know, you don't want to be like the Celtics where you just retire the number of every Tom, Dick and Harry, who was the fourth or fifth best player on your teams that won in the sixties or whatever, that feels like a way to run out of good numbers for players to wear, uh, and have your whole team wearing goofy numbers like 46 and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I, I think retiring numbers should be pretty rarefied air. And for me, Kyle Lowry is the only Raptor who's, who so far has earned the right to have the number retired. That said, there are a couple guys in the team who I think could very much work their way to that conversation, even if I think it's more likely they end up just getting the number honored as opposed to retired. The banner will still go up. There will still be a celebration and all that good stuff. But retired is a different thing than honored. And, you know, the three guys who come to mind right now are Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, and Scotty Barnes. Look, Barnes has played just one year. You don't want to heap too much on the guy, but also... 
We've seen this movie before. High draft pick is a star early on, goes on to play a very long time with a team, becomes franchise icon. Like, that's totally an outcome here, possibly a likely outcome for Scotty Barnes based on what we saw in his rookie season. So I'm not going to rule anything. You know, there's a world in which Scotty Barnes finishes his Raptors career as the best player in Raptors history. Um, that's still a very, very long way away. So expecting that or predicting that is probably kind of foolish, but that is one of the outcomes on the table for him. When it comes to Siakam and Fred, like, I don't think either is ever really going to pass the stature of Lowry with the team. Lowry was the guy who kind of first made the team good back in 2013-14, was responsible for the first run of sustained success the team's ever had, of course, won the title, and then had a couple of nice pad years on the other side of the title to kind of, you know, stake his claim in Raptors history, particularly 2019-20, where he was uh, insane and should have been on the All-NBA team, and it's... uh, damn travesty that uh, Ben Simmons made that All-NBA team, but I'm not mad about it. Definitely not. Not mad. Not angry at all. Um, so yeah, I, I think Kyle's kind of untouchable at this point, barring some other run where they go and win multiple titles. You know, it, it feels pretty unlikely that Kyle's going to have his stature as the greatest Raptor of all time challenged by either Siakam or Fred. But, you know, there's a world if they stick around for contracts beyond this, this the, the current deals they're on, which... I think is pretty likely, then you're looking at just like the longevity of Fred and Siakam. They probably move into becoming the longest serving Raptors of all time, Uh, you know, getting close to 10, 11 years with the team. Like that's pretty amazing. And that would probably garner at least some consideration for retirement. You know, again, maybe Pascal has another leap in him and he's going to go be at the back end of the MVP conversation one of these years or he's going to go lead the team to multiple third rounds or finals or whatever. That all feels very, very ambitious and optimistic, but there's a world in which that happens. I suppose the NBA is a little bit more of an even playing field right now. It could could certainly happen and sort of pad the resume of Siakam with the team. But as of right now, I would guess none of these guys get their numbers retired, the most likely Maybe Scotty Barnes, just because of the upside and the potential there. Um, But as far as, like, honored and raised to the rafters, then probably all three, frankly, at some point. Even though when that happens for Scotty Barnes, that'll be, like, 20 years in the future. At which time, are we still playing organized sports? Who's to say? Uh, Either way, great question from Spidey Rocks. We're going to come back on the other side, dig into some questions related to the Raptors bench and the situation there. Before we do that, however, just a reminder, you can check out Locked On NBA each and every day on your favorite podcast apps as a rotating cast of the local hosts of the Locked On Network. Very similar to me, except much better at talking about the NBA. They are on that show every day, breaking all things down. Donovan Mitchell, Kevin Durant still, the Nets, what the hell are they going to look like? It's all there on Lockdown NBA each and every day on your favorite podcast apps and on YouTube. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
All right, let's round out here with a few questions relating mostly to the Raptors bench. So this one here comes from EFX, one of the YouTube questions that came in. Uh, Spidey Rocks' question about retirements was also on YouTube. So thanks to EFX and Spidey Rocks for sending over questions. This question is, out of the bench players, what are the one skills you think they need to be a starter slash valuable piece in the rotation, i.e. Banton with a jumper, Precious with a post game, Flynn with a floater, Ron Harper with better perimeter defense, etc., etc. So this is a really good one. I'm going to just pick one player and sort of go with the skill that they might have to sort of switch the, flip the switch into becoming a rotation player. I think right now there's a nine-man rotation that's pretty set for the Raptors, right? You've got the starters from last year. You've got Precious, Boucher, Thad, and Otto Porter. They're going to eat up the majority of the minutes. That 10th spot with Kem Birch kind of filling that in right now seems to be kind of the one that's gettable for someone. Not that Nick Nurse is always going to play 10 guys, but, you know, he'll he'll dabble and injuries happen, right? Otto Porter needs a rest day. They'll probably be digging into the deep bench to replace those minutes. And so, you know, this is sort of an interesting thing because I think all these different guys have various qualities that they can offer to the team. You know, Justin Champagny is the incredible offensive rebounder, and if the three-point shooting from the G League last year is real, that's a player, and, you know, he probably doesn't have to add a whole lot, frankly. He can just be the player he was in the G League last year, hit a bunch of catch-and-shoots in the corner, pound the offensive glass, and play multi-positional defense, and you're laughing, and he's a wonderful 10th man. Um, With Banton, you know, I'm a little less sort of sure of what the hell he is and where his future lies. I think there's something there, um, but it's hard to kind of pin down one skill. Frankly, the one player who has one skill that could have a switch flip and just become a part of the rotation is Malachi Flynn. If, 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 if he can find a way to knock down open threes when they come to him, have a little bit of off-the-bounce pull-up juice just be a better shooter than he's been so far, a better shot maker than he's been so far, which has not been good. He is under 50% true shooting for his total NBA career with the Raptors. That's, you know, parts of three seasons now, or two seasons? Yeah, parts of two seasons. Um, you know, there's there's something there. He is obviously a pretty decent defender positionally. He doesn't really guard multiple positions, but, like, he can hang with ones and twos, probably, depending on the size of the twos. He did a nice job in some certain spots against James Harden last year, for example, in the playoffs. Like, there's something there defensively. He's good at jumping passing lanes, sort of creating events, that type of thing. And we know that he has passing acumen and instincts. He just doesn't get to use them a whole lot because the team doesn't play a ton of pick and roll, which is his bread and butter and the thing that he was vaunted as, you know, being an outstanding pick and roll operator coming out of college. So barring the Raptors just becoming a spread pick and roll team, which I don't think is happening, he just has to kind of evolve a little bit here and just be a bench shot maker. He has a track record in college and even in some certain spots in the NBA of being able to knock down threes. His stroke doesn't look like it's broken or anything like that. Not that I'm a shot doctor, but it's not looking like Michael Kidd Gilchrist out here. Like, it looks like a perfectly cromulent three-point shot. And if he can just knock down the open threes that he's sure to get playing alongside various guys in this team who are going to have more of the ball-handling role and, and, and duties... Like, there is a role for Malachi Flynn on this team. They don't have any point guards beyond Fred Van Vliet, and I don't think they care about that. I don't think they think that's a problem, but extra ball handling, extra insulation in the event of Fred injury, like, that's a valuable thing to have. And so it's just sitting right there for Malachi Flynn if he could just hit 
a damn shot or two. And so that to me is the biggest swing skill for anyone on the Raptors bench is the catch and shoot three point shooting, just the general shot making of a guy like Malachi Flynn. And I suppose a floater would be a helpful thing to help with that shot making as well. This next question here comes from B-Ball Thinking asking, do you think Chris Boucher holds the gains he made in the final two-thirds of last season? Uh, I think he does. I'm really high on Chris Boucher and what he can do for the team this year. And the reason I'm high on it is because I think there's some sort of bounce back likely to come in his three-point shooting. I don't think he should go and reorient his shot chart again after changing it all last year and becoming so rim-oriented, so offensive rebounding-oriented, and sort of abandoning the high-volume three-point shooting that he had during the Tampa season. But I do think if he can take two or three a game, and instead of hitting 29%, hit 34%, that's helpful, and that's going to help him boost his numbers a little bit, probably to the point where he can be in the six-man-of-the-year conversation, which by all the metrics of winning and driving positive performance on the fo- on the floor, Chris Boucher should have been in that conversation last year. He just didn't score enough because that's an award where it's simple-minded people go, oh, 16 points a game off the bench. He must be the, the, the six-man. Tyler Hero, great, 20 points a game off the bench. Can you defend or play an important minute for your team at all? Who's to say? Probably not. Um, But anyway, (laughs) my grudge against Tyler Hero as a player aside, I think Chris Boucher showed enough last year, totally changed his game into something that's pretty sustainable, right? Like, go be a maniac with your crazy athleticism and length and speed, crash the offensive glass, be a dive man once in a while and knock down the odd three. Like that's not a difficult thing to replicate for Chris Boucher. So I think we'll probably see uh, a running back of very good Chris Boucher off the bench this season, probably even more so with like more of a defined role as one of the key cogs off the bench. You know, it, it wasn't really until the midway through point of last season where he established himself as a trusted piece for, for Nick Nurse in the reserves. And I, I think a full season of trust will go a long way to kind of boosting those numbers and kind of making it feel a little bit more real and ironclad that he is just this player now. Um, Let's get uh, one more bench-related question in here. This one comes from B-Ball Thinking once again. Does Thad integrate and lead the bench slash late-game closeouts with a lead? What do you feel Otto's gestation game count will be, the amount of time he's going to need to kind of get up to speed with the Raptors? So the answer to the Thad question, I absolutely think there will be times where he's going to close. You know, we saw it a little bit in the playoffs last year. He's best playing with good players. And if you stick him out there as a small ball five, for example, with Scotty and OG and Pascal and Fred, maybe you're worried about shooting in that situation. But the defense there is so switchable. The playmaking, it's coming from all corners with that with that collection of players as well. You know, swap out an OG, bring in a Trent, whatever you want. I really think that that is a a viable look for the Raptors and Thad's best season came as a regular small ball five playing for the Bulls a couple of years back. So I think that's something they're going to try to tap into a little bit more here. Um, You know, as far as Otto Porter goes, I I think, you know, there will be some time. It's hard for anyone to get accustomed to playing the way the Raptors play, but he's also a pro. We just played for the Warriors. Not exactly an easy scheme to pick up either way. And I, I think it should be, you know, probably like 10, 15 games. Your typical gestation period for any player coming into the Raptors you know no one kind of picks it up from day one necessarily I don't expect that from Otto Porter but I also don't expect he's going to take half the season to figure it out he's a pro he's not going to be asked to do all that much right on offense it's going to be pretty simple stand in the corner hit 40% of your threes and you're laughing Whereas on defense, he's just going to be some more length out there. Maybe there's some more switching viable because they're just bigger across the board with him in there. Um, or, or maybe they they 
play their hyper aggressive defense in which auto porter in which case auto porter is going to have to kind of get accustomed to that but i i do think we'll probably see a little bit more of a conservative approach defensively this year than we saw last year just because they have the pieces on hand to play a more laid back switching style as opposed to having to constantly be over the top in your face forcing turnovers to help drive their offense their offense should be better this season than it was last year as well with some upticks and shooting and things like that you know kind of when it, through internal development more than anything else um with that I think we're going to round out the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to everybody for sending in your questions. Actually, there's one more I got to get to, a fun one here from Epic Moppus. Great question asker. Uh, of course, uh, this is late, and I can't put any of these things into my own wedding because, uh, you know, I've already gotten married. But uh, the question here is pick one raptor all time to perform your wedding ceremony. Be your best man. Cater the reception. Be in charge of music. Uh, this one's easy perform the ceremony it's not a raptors player it's jack armstrong uh <laughs> there was actually a conversation i had with my fiance when we were fiancés about do we ask jack armstrong to do our wedding uh didn't end up doing that but uh that's like it was literally a conversation we had because it seems like it would be a lot of fun to have jack armstrong do your wedding um as far as best man this one has to be, I, I think, Scotty Barnes. He brings the best vibes. He seems like he's caring and thoughtful. He's going to handle the stuff that you don't want to have to handle while also making everybody feel super welcome. He's going to be the best usher that ever existed, sitting people down. Everyone's going to be very thrilled when they get their seat from him. I think he's the best man. Catering the reception, it is, of course, Serge Ibaka. Not a question. He's going to maybe get creative, but also... Uh, should it be Serge Ibaka? Maybe Serge Ibaka should just be in charge of the music instead. Uh, he does, of course, have himself a music career. Maybe he's doing both. Maybe you're saving some money having Serge Ibaka cater the reception and then also be in charge of the music. He's just your double vendor dutying him. Uh, that might be the, uh, <laughs> the way to go there. But maybe that's not the most delicious meal you've ever had and you're having weird brains and stuff like that, which I guess is fine too. Either way, wrap it there. Thank you so much for the question, Eric. And uh, thank you to everybody for sending in questions today. We'll be back again on Friday as we're going to talk with Alex and Gavin from Locked On Knicks about where the Knicks are at. A little crossover action with an Atlantic Division rival and we'll talk about, you know, can the Knicks actually kind of get back to being good again or fake good, whatever they were back in 2019-20 uh, or 2020-21, whatever the fake season that no one paid attention to where the Knicks came forth. Uh, yeah, that, that seemed not real. Can they be real good this coming season? We will get to that so much more on Friday when we talk with the folks from Locked On Knicks. With that, we'll round it up. Thank you so much for tuning in and making us your first listen of the day. Go make your second listen. Locked On Blue Jays as the Jays have won two games in a row against the Cubs, so everything's fine, right? <laughs> Go subscribe and uh, listen to Locked On Jays with Ben and Matt every single day. And uh, thank you so much. We'll talk to you Friday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Bye-bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.